You're listening to Brave New Words. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hello. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... I'm Ross. I'm Mikey. Uh, I'm Anne. I'm Sai. Uh, we are brought to you in association of Fab, International.com and Starburst Magazine. We are Starburst Magazine's premier bookshop. Uh, we are also Starburst Magazine's only bookshop. You can also read the column in Starburst Magazine, which is also called Brave New Words. Branding, it's a thing. And before we get to if ever we do, we will have a jingle. This, this is Fab Radio International. That was lovely. It was. Yeah, very nice. Lovely. Jingle jangle. Jingle jangle. Oh, have you been watching Riverdale? No, I haven't. Oh, I right. should. We diverted already. We, we have diverted that already. Sorry, I was still on branding. You know, without iron. But carry why, on. why is jingle jangle Riverdale? I've not seen it. Right, so, okay, so today's show, by the by, is about uh, is about Chew Up Love by Susan Kalman, which we'll get to in a moment. Uh, so Riverdale is adapted from the Archie comics. Yes. Um, see, it all ties in, because Susan mm-hmm. Kalman's a comic. Yes. Um, so uh, what they've got is they've got Riverdale, the... the TV series mm. and the art, uh, which is based on the Archie comics, and Archie's the Archies were a band in the sixties based on the Archie comics to promote the Archie comics. Right. They did a Christmas song called Jingle Jangle. Wow! In in Riverdale the TV series, a PCP style speed style ecstasy ecstasy style drug, which comes in pixie sticks, is also called Jingle Jangle, and they they take. Jingle jangle, <laughs> and it's an evil drug that needs to be taken off the street. Off the streets, apparently. This is right. one of those clever ways that they've updated a, a, a setting and and included references to the original material. Yeah, but, but it's Archie, so you kind of find yourself like sniggering at the grim dark references because it's grim dark Archie. And if you if you don't know the Archie comics, they're very they're like the I don't know the ones from the sixties. <laughs> it's like the American Beano, but we might bring up the Beano in, in a moment so mm. we've got a book and it's not oh, a book. book 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 a book on a bookshelf <laughs> madness it's madness yep so, so hang on firstly who is Susan Kalman so uh, we are recording this show on the first proper weekend of January and Susan Kalman over the last three months has been kind of everywhere so you might know her from her occasional appearances on QI she was on QI earlier this week um, you might know her from uh, Keep Calm and Carry On, uh, which is her radio show thing, which has just had a mini series over sort of the end of December. Um, you might know her from hosting Top Class on CBBC, which has just had a Christmas special and then an end of series finale thing. Uh, you might know her from instant cult classic um, BBC One daytime afternoon show, Armchair Detectives. I, I, I have seen that show. And I have to be a massive nerd at this point. Does anyone else remember Captain Zep Space Detective? Yes. It's Captain Zep Space Detective, but with actual, like, real-life crimes rather than space crime. And they've taken out the sci-fi element. Are you, yes. di- are you dismissing space crime? Space crime is real. And you know what? I would not put it past the village of Mortcliffe to have some sort of alien murder in a future series. Please let it come back. Um... <laughs> Uh, or you might very well know her from her audience winning appearance on Strictly Come Dancing where she got yes. she got past Blackpool with Kevin so that was nice so that's who she is 
Yes. So and she, she's also a stand-up comic. Um, she's extremely radio for like, she's very all the she time. Has, uh, she's done a, a lot of. Have I? Um, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. Yeah, she has. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of very, very British comic. Yes. So what's the book about? So the book is Cheer Up Love: Adventures in, in Depression with the Crab of Hate, uh, which is a fairly good summary of what it's about. So it's a book, ab- as she says, it's a book about depression, but it's not depressing. Um. So it's almost an autobiography of Susan Kalman, the early years, until she, you know, spent five to ten years working her way up the stand-up comedy circuit in Glasgow and Scotland and suddenly became an overnight hit, um, as these things always do. So it's it's about her early life and points at which she realised there was stuff going on with her that was not going on with everybody else and how that eventually came to be diagnosed by a doctor who actually listened as some sort of depression and how she has learnt to an extent to cope with that. Okay. Is it any good? It is, yeah. So a lot of people when they're talking about depression sort of talk about the black dog. She has the crab of hate, which is her personification of it. Um, Yes, it is good. Um, She is at pains to say that um she's not a doctor um she you know she can't say if you have this 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 and this you've definitely got depression but she can say this is what i had if these are things that are worrying you go and see a doctor Mm -hmm. and this is how it was for me um and she talks about the various sort of treatment options that, that might be available for you and says this is what she did and what worked for her eventually and it took her quite a long time sort of probably the best part of 20 years to kind of figure it all out and she talks very honestly as well about how bad it got for her um which is very um very bad indeed for her especially when she was sort of a teenager sort of about 15 16 mm. um and but then she ends with and this is how she deals with it now she says you know it's not over it's not gone it comes back round but mm-hmm. she firstly she's much better at recognizing when She's on a down cycle, for want of a better phrase, and she's much better at then turning around and saying to people, I am currently having a period of time where things are not great for me. Yeah. So who would you recommend it to? Um, ooh. Um, I would also say it's funny as well. It's funny in points. Um, yeah. Um, oh, I think possibly if, if you have um, mental health concerns, read it. If you know people who have mental health concerns, read it. Because there are also bits about um, if you know somebody who has depression, please don't do the following things because they're really not helpful. Um, Thus the title. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um I think it's probably it's, it is it's genuinely useful for everybody. I think. So it's a functional book rather than. Are you a fan of Susan Kalman? Find out more about Susan Kalman type book. Yeah, um, you do find out a little bit more about Susan Kalman. Okay. So. Yeah. Um, including the frankly hilarious story of how she ended up meeting her wife. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which involves um, a, a mess up with a personal ad in a local paper. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or just, uh, just leave it at that. Don't provide yeah. any more details. Like, no, that's good. They, yeah. you, you need no, to read, you need read the book to find yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as a total tangent. I'm shocked. You're shocked. Um, so there's a, there's a there's a fairly famous meme at this point, which is um, uh, adventurers wanted uh, for time travel. Uh, yes. I have just done this just once. Um, please contact this. You know, you know, no time wasters. Please contact this PO box. Um, that's an actual real advert, as in uh, it's from a, a thing called I think it's called the Bat, like a Batwoods magazine, mm-hmm. and it's for. Um, people who are self-reliant and they want to build their own kind of farm in their back garden style magazine right and it was it was put there as a joke 18 years ago mm-hmm. uh, by the sub-editor who had two spaces for two adverts one he was looking for a girlfriend that didn't go anywhere uh, <laughs> and the other one was this joke but it's a real uh, P.O. box and he still gets stuff sent in and it's most people most of these people demanding to know why they're wasting his time with this advert which is weird because they've written a letter to demand <laughs> to know why they're wasting his time with this advert but, <laughs> terribly sorry but also some, some genuinely sad moments of people going it's probably not real but if it is could you please go back in time and tell me not to commit this crime or tell this person that I love them or oh. you know all these little regrets oh. people. and he's like and it's still going because the, the meme has been perpetuated. They made it into a movie, after all. Yeah. So this, this meme has been perpetuated. So Which movie? Uh, uh, Adventure is Wanted. Okay. I believe it's called, or No Time Waste, or something like that. It's it's the quote from the advert. Right, yeah. okay. Um, but uh, I only only know this because um, Harry T- Turtledove retweeted it. Uh, and I went, ah, hang on, there's a story behind that and found the story because I'd forgotten what the story mm. was but the story is it's actually a genuine advert it's not just a clever meme mm. um, but that was a tangent sorry um, <laughs> I was wondering how this was going to connect it's not related at all does it yeah not at all really. <laughs> welcome to Brave New World <laughs> so she's a comic yes so also she used to be a lawyer while they were wake, working up the, the, the change of becoming you know stand-up comedian because I've, I've been to a couple of comedy nights where it's at the little clubs where uh, you know, where they try out material before they you know, some of them go on to do bigger things. Basically, you go to you know big comedy shows where you know one comedian is talking to I don't know five thousand people, and if you go, keep going to smaller clubs and, see, and eventually try and you know do your own thing, you sort of work your way back up. Of okay, well you now you start touring around some of the smaller places, and then bigger places, and see what kind of audience you can start pulling up. So I mean, Jimmy Carr used to sell petrol, I think. Was well, so you, you used to sell? You know, that was. Was it in the state of Oregon? Was it? No. <laughs> well, the way the way I remember him saying he's, he he do so was you know you know you need car need more fuel buy some petrol and that was that's, yeah. that's his summary of how he used to say I don't know exactly who he was selling it to beyond you know presumably people who had cars but a bunch of comedians you know, you, they obviously had careers before they became zero comedians. Do you need someone to tell you to buy? He wasn't selling petrol to the consumer. He was selling petrol to. Petrol stations. Okay, that's better. A, yeah. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> petrol stations probably ought to have got the idea that they need petrol as wet already. There's a water marketing board. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that is true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it. Okay. Want to live? Well. <laughs> <laughs> very, very well done, yes. Want to live? Well. <laughs> Are you looking for work at the moment? <laughs> Are you looking for work at the minute, Mikey? I think you did a job. Uh, yeah, she she did the thing of um, she spent about three or four years 
uh, sleeping round doing you know tight doing the three minutes in a comedy club in the basement of a pub mm. somewhere in a back street in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Yeah. Sounds delightful. Yeah, it's interesting actually because like the, there is that cycle of, of comedian where they they go up, 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 get a massive things. And then you go and see them at a small gig at, at a fringe festival, mm. and you're like, "Wow, I've, I get to see Phil Jupiter!" And then the, their show will be much more intense and much more personal because they know they can sell the general stuff out to massive mm. crowds. But when they've got a crowd of when they're above stairs in a pub somewhere and they've got a crowd of forty people, they'll do something that's maybe a little darker and mm. a little bit more yeah. different. Uh, and you'll still laugh your socks off because you know they're professionally funny. Yeah, I mean they've. Presumably, they've got to hit the, the level where okay, the, there's a point where in quite a few comedians' careers, if you watch some of the stand-up material, where they go right, and this is about my experience touring you know, as a comedy routine, and this is my experience in hotels because this is what I do for a living now. Yeah. Whereas, hopefully, they'll have other material, mm-hmm. but you do get that phase where you think, okay, now you you're just grabbing everything you can. <laughs> mm. Oh, with the exception of Jerry Sadowitz, who appears to have just found, seen everything, he hated it all, and he's quite happy to tell you. Which is, he's also the, one of the nicest men I've ever met. He's lovely, except when he's on stage, when they are absolutely terrified of him. But I'm um, talking about stage. Oh, are we don't on to the next thing. Do, do, do we want to keep talking about the book? Uh, by the book. Right. It's available in, in book shops. Okay. Okay. Did you deliberately adopt a Susan Connor's accent just then when you said book? No, that's no one on the show can say the word book. I have to say book. I I really can't. That's how I imagine Susan Connor said. I can't even do my own accent, so I can't do anybody else's. Oh my word! You can say the word book. Can you say the word book? Book. Yesterday, my wife. I have a superpower. My wife said, "Are you going to talk about books?" Three times, just because that's just what we do on this show. We talk about books. <laughs> so on the subject of superpowers as well. Hey! The right. universe has no idea where we are leading to. No, exactly. Unless they've read the description. Uh, yes. At which point, yes, they have a clue. So uh, this that? is sort of a tangent for a book show because we are a book show. Um, we're going to talk about comic books. We're going to talk about the Beano. Uh, before we get into it, you may have read a story about the, the death of Dennis the Menace or some such nonsense in the tabloids. Here is our advice. Stop reading tabloids. Uh, the Beano was <laughs> not going anywhere. Dennis the Menace had hit, had a brand change about four years ago and before that, about ten years ago. Uh, it's just so they can sell it to Americans. Moving on, one of the famous, one of the, the, the most notable and famous Beano characters would be... Banana Man. Banana Man. Banana Man. Which <laughs> myself, Mr. actually recently saw the musical Banana Man. Um, yes, that actually happens. Okay, for the purposes of Great for, radio. for the benefit yeah. of listeners at home, yeah. <laughs> Sai is swimming. Sai is making swimming gestures in space. So, in case you're American or you weren't lucky enough to be born in the eighties um, or during the eighties, young during the eighties. Okay. No, 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 no! It's Generation X, so you've got to be born. You've got to be careful here. Mid seventies. Of, of the people in this room, how many people were actually born in the eighties? Point. <laughs> young during, superpower. Uh, young yeah. during the eighties. Thank you. Uh, so, Banana Man is. Uh, and especially like the listener has no idea who, how many people put their hands up. Just that, carry on. That, that's a point. Yeah. <laughs> um, Good radio. It's excellent radio <laughs> and completely chaotic, much like the show we went to see. So. Uh, Banana Man started out in the 80s in Nutty Comics, which was, if you, could, if you couldn't get enough of the Beano, you got the Dandy. If you couldn't get enough of the, ba- uh, of, of the Dandy, you also got Nutty. 
essentially. And that also meant that your parents really, really had ate too much money and be really loved you because you got a <laughs> load of comic books. Uh, and for some reason, you weren't reading Wizard and Chips. But anyway, um, what's a Topper and Beezer as well? Yeah, yeah. Topper and Beezer. Yeah. Anyway. Loads of these things. Absolutely, it's Fleetway. Fleetway just churned them out and then and then combined them with some mm. weird reason. But never Wizard and Chips. Or Wizard and Chips was always Wizard and Chips. Anyway, um, <laughs> so Banana Man is like officially they say he's a parody of Super- Superman. Unofficially, he's really a parody of uh, Mick Anglo's uh, Miracle Man slash Marvel Man slash Shazam. But right. the reason I'm going slash and looking slightly dubious is because there's a whole legal mess <laughs> surrounding those names mm-hmm. because DC owned, owned the rights to Marvel, to Captain Marvel, Marvel Man. Uh, and Timely Comics wanted that back because they're also Marvel. And there's an entire there's an entire show about the rights behind Miracle Man and the whole mess, which we're not going into, so we'll avoid that. And he's waving his hands around in a man which is not banana swimming. Yeah, it's not banana man swimming. <laughs> so so kind of I've gotten tangented by the whole mess that is the rights for essentially a comic book character of a little boy who does something and then turns into a big muscle bound hero who can fly. Banana Man is a parody of that kid's power fantasy, whereas Eric, wimp, when he um, eats a banana, transforms into Banana Man, who has the the, the, the muscles of 20 men and the brain power of 20 muscles. <laughs> yes, yeah, not smart. No. Um, so, we've so, been... so this is partially origin story. So, yeah, we've been following the production from... Oh, it's, it's been three years. So they announced it... <laughs> Initially, yeah. initially yeah. they announced it as a movie. We were like, "There's a Banana Man movie, and it's going to be a musical movie." That sounds brilliant. And there was like a, the, there was like a, it's kind of sub, Superman style parody tune to it as well. It sounded amazing. I like the, some of the taglines I've heard recently while looking this over. So you know, you've got Peel the Power, and yeah. you've got the Man of Peel. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Brilliant. That's good. <laughs> and whatever happened, they didn't quite make it to movie mm-hmm. so they decided to do it's been quietly buried well Bino Bino apparently created something called Bino Studios which I presume is along the lines of Marvel Studios where we're going to do something movie wise with this and Banana Man the movie has sort of quietly fallen out of so the musical that we went to see was in association with Bino Studios okay and it was the same people who were initially respo- were like involved with the idea behind doing a movie as well mm-hmm. um so, so this is a movie of a TV show of a cartoon. Stage production. Sorry, stage production. The stage production of a TV show of a cartoon. And when we got in, when you know you, you go in, you go in comic, you yeah. go, you go into the theatre, yeah. and you sit down, and there's some music playing in the background, and you know, and if it's if it's a murder mystery, it might be Inspector Morse, or if it's a nineteen twenties uh, murder mystery, it'd be some nineteen twenties music. Mm-hmm. And so on, you know, it'll be stuff to get you in the mood. Yeah. So we get in, and it's immediately Ducktales. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which is a Pavlovian response. <laughs> uh, and Penny Crayon, uh, and and so on. Basically, every eighties cartoon TV show. They and um, I don't even know where they sourced some of this stuff from. Oh, but not Captain Zap. Uh, no, they had Captain Zap, not Captain Captain Zap. Uh, theme tune they had um, Benji Zack and Alien Prince oh I remember that one one of the tunes 
um, and so on. So we're just listening to to these, and and they had massive blow ups of of um, comic panels as the sort of um, backdrop. They'd clearly found comic strips with a Banana Man, Dennis the Menace slash the rest of the Beano Gang crossover. Because mm-hmm. obviously Infinite and Infinite Beano. Yeah. Uh, credits on, on, on Beano World. Um, <laughs> Beano Wars. Yeah, all of them. So so there was a Dennis the Menace going, it's Banana Man! Sort of thing. All over the place. Um, the set itself has a um, a sign pointing the different streets and one of the streets is Bash Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so on. So they settle in and we're like, okay, so they're going to because there was an 80s cartoon which is how most people know it yeah uh, the goodies, the goodies. yeah of all people <laughs> of all people um, and it starts out with a musical number explaining how boring Acacia Road is mm-hmm. and Acacia Road is very boring mm-hmm. and Eric Wimp is very much a wimp and his mum uh, makes weird sandwiches very weird sandwiches Chekhov's banana here right uh, <laughs> very much Chekhov's sandwich yes um and then we meet Doctor Gloom. Oh, it opens with Doctor Gloom and um, General Blight. General Blight, who, who are the baddies, aren't they? Who are yeah, the baddies. Baddies. Yeah. And they have an evil plan. Mm-hmm. And essentially, though it's called Banana Man, it's actually the General Blight and Doctor Gloom. Doctor Gloom show because they are like they're front belling for yeah. a start. They are front belling, and you can tell why because you know how we describe the scenery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, not a single piece of scenery went unchewed. <laughs> Teeth marks everything. Teeth marks everything, everywhere. Um, so it does the thing. Uh, one of the things they've updated. It sounds weird that they like this is a gag strip in a kids comic aimed at kids. It's not meant to be. You know, it's, yeah. it doesn't have a continuity. We're not going to sit there and talk about Banana Man canon from the eighties, <laughs> uh, except unless it's a big canon. You put Banana Man in. Uh, <laughs> you know, there, there isn't like you know there isn't a database full of his rogues gallery of villains. I mean, there is, but yeah, there will be a Wikipedia page somewhere. But, but you know, it's not. You can't. There isn't ultimate. No one's done Ultimate Banana Man. You know. Oh come on, <laughs> they should. Oh, <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson, that'd be amazing. There's been no gritty reboot. Frank Miller yeah. get to work. <laughs> exactly. It's, it, it's not had this treatment to it. So, the, the, but they have updated it. Um, so in the cartoon. Uh, I can always forget Selena Scott in the cartoon. They have a few other reporter mm-hmm. who who is who was modelled on Selena Scott, and someone who doing a Selena Scott impersonation. Selena Scott was an eighties uh, news reporter. Yeah, and she's a kind of like a prop. She's a sexy lamp, basically. She sits there and she's like, "Help me, Banana Man," and then rescues herself. Yes, because um, Banana Man's incompetent. Yeah. What they've done with this is Fiona is a is a schoolgirl reporter of Eric's age, right? Ah. So it's not creepy that Eric, who is fifteen going on sixteen, yeah. has a crush on Fiona, who is fifteen going on sixteen, because many of us have been there. So that's that's fine. Um, you know, it's like that works. That makes sense. Um, they've updated it where she has a YouTube channel. I'm stunned they haven't as promotion for the show had that YouTube channel yes I am yeah, as well yeah. unless it's out there somewhere and we've just not seen it yet but also that would be an absolute nightmare to put together let me tell you so so, so all of that is kind of the, the, the setup, um, and then there is some nonsense about a meteorite which is this the, is the origin story the origin story so the origin story is there is a meteorite and it comes to Earth and then Eric impales his banana and impales his banana as it were 
he's got he's got like, he's got his sandwiches ready and he's got yes. a, like a picnic blanket and he's because mm-hmm. he's, he's trying to like get a not not a date with this girl that he fancies uh, and he's Eric Wimp and he's the you know he's the school nerd the fact that he's a nerd has its own song let's put it that way also there is a there is a song um, musical number set in Bash Street High and I'm genuinely frightened that there was both a primary school and a high school on Bash <laughs> Street that just concerns me for educational standards in Beano Town it's worth pointing out that when we meet a school teacher he's got a mortarboard on his head and a tree jacket <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah absolutely lifted from the Beano um, so yeah as a show I really liked it. I turned to you at the interval and went this is possibly the most British thing I have ever seen <laughs> and bear oh, in God. mind last year I saw a work in progress um, of a musical called Operation Mincemeat which is about the thing in World War 2 where they got a corpse dressed as a navy officer dumped it in the sea and Ian Fleming is one of the characters this was more British than that um, so yes so like, it's a departure as a, as a, as a book show thing because we're mm-hmm. talking about uh, a stage production of a book however yes. uh, the Banana Man comics by the way you can get pretty much everywhere Beano still do them yeah. Um, Nutty, been, Nutty has, hasn't no, been around for a long, long time. time. So, hang on, are there collections? Are there graphic novels? Yes. There are. Wow. Uh, the Beano will quite cheerfully sell you their IP uh, okay. at speed. Um, <laughs> Please take this. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if you are, give some money. Apparently, uh, one of the unusual things about the Banana Man annual was that it had new content in it as opposed to most of the Beano and Dandy annuals, which had. Um, collated content from the previous year they don't Banana tend to well I don't they know about recent okay I don't know about recent but when I used to get the annuals it was new material for the annuals mm-hmm. they used to do they, they used to do a thing and they continued they used to do, do little collected ones didn't they yeah with the same format as Commando yeah, so yeah. the same people who do because um, we've talked about Commando on the show yeah before, yeah yeah the, the same people who do um, Commando which is a, again a very British kind of World War 2 style war stories in these kind of <laughs> Hand format, hand size. Yeah, format? yeah, they're pretty. Yeah, yeah. like pretty hand, hand, hand size. for us, not necessarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adult yeah. hand sized format, and they used to do those in like 80, in the eighties. They used to do those. It was like fifty p, which is like half your pocket money. You'd be like, yeah. well, still it, got a couple, and they were. I, th- I would imagine those were written specifically for that format as well, because you're not going to get a sixty page comic in the mm. regular. Because it was like almost a panel a page, though. Mm. So you got, had these big panels of of ten. Yeah, they became popular because they came with the He-Man toys originally. They did so. That size format came from from there, and it became very popular to see them in the comic. Oh, section. the kind of the big yeah. Oh, 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 there's a Netflix series called The Toys That Made Us. Seen that? I've seen the I've seen the, the, the first three, and it's great. And I loved how all the He-Man guys were just terrible blaggers. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were literally pulling it out of their trousers. Yeah. So, um, sh- can, shall I tell the story about Toys R Us? Yeah, if you like. So, the, so they go to Toys R Us, and like mm-hmm. Toys R Us are like, uh, not Toys R Us. So the 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 the, the one slightly smaller than Toys R Us. So. All I can think of is Al's Toy Barn, but that's from Toy Story, so that's not. So, so it's not like, a real shop. A not big, a real shop. They, they go to a big <laughs> toy manufacturer, a uh, toy distributor, Retail. retailer, and they're like, so this is to, and the retailers are like, Child so, World, Child World. <laughs> that's that doesn't not sound right, does that's it? A creepy no. Name. Yeah, yeah, that is, yeah. yeah. Has it been rebranded since, or has it just disappeared? I think it's just. Right, it's Toys R Us may have eaten it. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're still looking for Child World. We all never. No! Know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It's not a name that's dated well, but carry it's on. It's a weird anyway. Jurassic Park sequel. Ooh, Ooh that is, yes. yes. That's <laughs> worse or better. I'm not sure where we were going. One so, of the more heavily edited Next Generation episodes. Oh. <laughs> With apologies to Will Wheaton. Not because it's relevant, but because I feel we should apologise. Just apologize. generally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so they're trying to sell these toys, and they're like, well, hang on, no, what? Why? Star Wars has, you know, movies... These toys don't have movies. What do they have? And the guy goes, "Oh, did we not tell you about the comic book that I just pulled out of my trousers?" <laughs> yeah, uh, not literally. <laughs> and uh, so they have these little origin story comic books, which actually are the He-Man origin story because they hadn't made that up. No, at that point, it's just a barbarian uh, dude, wasn't it? It was a Conan, basically. It, it was yeah. basically Conan. The, I love that on the, that particular show, they spend their entire time not talking about Conan. Because the the well, as we've talked about before on the show, the Robert E. Howard estate is rabid, mm-hmm. uh, and if you even even slightly mention that, they can get some money out of you. They will turn up at your doorstep with a you know, a fleet of lawyers and and a pin machine. I really hope they're not listening to the show and going, "Wait a minute, they're right." <laughs> get on to He-Man. <coughs> well, no, there, there, there's a whole story behind that because it's why He-Man's blonde, not brown hair. When they originally, <laughs> when they originally designed the toy, they looked at it, and one of the early versions of the toy had brown hair, <laughs> and they went, "That looks too much like Conan." Blonde. Are you saying it's only a matter of time before we get a ginger barbarian? Surely that would be moderately historically accurate. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Slain action toys. Oh, good. Why, <laughs> why isn't there? Why isn't there? Uh, like a, what? I would I would watch an 80s cartoon style version of Slane. Um, do, do we need to explain Slane? I think we should get back to Banana Man the Musical. I want to see Slane the Musical now with like a dwarf thing. <laughs> Let's get back to not talking about books. Yes. Um, <laughs> the Slane is a book. It's, it's a novel. It's one of my favourite uh, 2018 comic strips. But Banana so, Man the Musical, yeah. But the, the set is kind of a little bit like a comic book in that it's got panels. The, the set wow. has panels? Yeah. What with, what, so why the lines across? Yeah, yeah. there's meanwhile and later and oh nice oh yeah. right I see well they also do the thing where they they roll on a different panel to change the scene mm. so the so obviously there's a zap format there is a zap format there yeah, is a there is a fight with some guys where he punches them and they hold uh, up cards and they hold up cards power splat that's what yeah. nice yeah and it's like I would normally as a as a massive comic book fan I find the whole power splat comics have grown up thing really kind of twitchy but for banana man that's exactly what it's required yes that's exactly what that this mm. is what i've come to the room for mm. i've come for the nostalgia i have come for zap pow comic books are back this is pre-watchman comic book joy <laughs> yeah this this is why <laughs> i got into it in the first first place there is no alan moore's banana man uh, <laughs> it really needs to be sorry <laughs> <laughs> No, the, well, no, the cousin, you, but I'd love to see you, you it. Or a Watchmen musical. Either way, you know. Uh, <laughs> Watchmen babies. I, I'd watch that. Well, the, the Saturday is, morning Watchmen cartoon mock-up is a thing that's yes, on YouTube. It is, yeah, it's very, point. Very there cool. are a series of comics called Before Watchmen, but um, I've missed my point. Before. <laughs> <laughs> it was over there, you were getting to it, you were getting to it. No, you didn't. Yeah, you distracted me. Before Watchmen is DC trying to do more of the property since because what happened was the guy who was like we're leaving it alone we're leaving it alone we're leaving it alone and then the guy who who was leaving it alone left mm. the guy who replaced him was like i don't understand why we're leaving it alone 
Alan Moore's really annoying and says horrible things about me all the time. And we own the IP. It's ours. <laughs> <laughs> he, he sold it to us. We we did say maybe you should get a lawyer. He had no. inadequate legal advice that he refused to listen to. I've dragged out the money printing press. I'd like to use it now, please. <laughs> I remember that point. Um, oh, no, well, yeah. Yes, because well, no, they brought they did a, a thing not a years ago. Um, not recently. Of uh, Cape Crusader, they brought basically Adam West Batman yes. back to DVD. I think I'm not sure. Uh, there there was a whole to do with the rights, but yes, it's been sorted. Yeah. Ooh. As in, as in, you know, because the, 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 I don't know the nostalgia value necessarily of it, but, you know, I was just thinking, well, you can't do that with, say, Batman these days because, you know, Miller and everyone else has had their answer. But because what you think of as Batman nowadays is this dark, gloomy fight rather than the Cape Crusader of the 60s. But they're still doing the 60s version somehow. There is there, There's a whole conversation about the iteration of comic books, and the thing with Batman specifically is because he's been around for so long, he's the weather vane that has changed as things have changed. Right. So when comics were... 60s Batman is quite light-hearted. 70s Batman is darker, but still, like, current, if you see what I mean. Mm. Uh, 80s Batman is ridiculous. 90s Batman is way too dark. And so and the, the kind of... He, he is very much... The, the, the different points on his ears go up and down, depending <laughs> on how dark he's being. Um... And it's gotten to the point now that we're, we're kind of post postmodernism. Mm. So, what point do people fence modernism? That's a good point. Uh, <laughs> Glenn Morrison is fence modern okay. modernism, uh, having just invented the term. Yeah, because um, <laughs> what Grant Morrison does is he takes all of the ridiculous stuff from the sixties, grim darks it, then ungrim darks it. Um, so there is a sixties version of Batman. Where he's the, the, there is an alternate reality space Batman where he's in red and yellow, uh, and he's the Batman of Zoral or something. Yeah, and he's yeah, like yeah. A, and he's like he's like a Superman version kind of Kryptonian space future version of Batman. Mm-hmm. Red and uh, yellow goes into space wearing costume. He's he's Iron Man. No, no, he's a he's an alternate reality version of Batman who lives on a futuristic space planet. Okay, and he's the son of. Am I wrong yet? Yeah. No, I'm just just all planets are space planets. That's a point. Just, That's a good point. So carry on. <laughs> <laughs> I like the comparison. It's the Earth. What? Like like a Kryptonian kind of Futurama style world. I feel we've gone off on a tangent from Banana Man. Getting to I'm getting to my point. Let me get to my point. <laughs> and what Van Morrison did is when actually this is a backup personality that Bruce Wayne has inserted into his brain in case he ever becomes compromised. So. If so Bruce Wayne ever becomes crazy what he does is he dresses up as Batman but as a clown and fights crime instead because that's not terrifying Somewhat Batman fair. as a clown is not terrifying but talking of costume changes oh yeah so I'd read the programme before this started so I had an idea of what was going to happen Ed who had been talking to somebody two seats down from him who we still don't quite know who they were had not read the programme and so when it gets to the initial costume change where Eric transforms into Banana Man, Ed was like, wow, that's amazing how quickly they did that. Because Banana Man's costume is really good. Mm-hmm. It's really good, it's really involved. And I was really impressed at the costume change because like, he goes off stage and literally five seconds later, he's changed. But he doesn't even like... really go off stage, he goes behind a pillar. And it's like, literally, it's like a, a full body costume. I couldn't see any... <laughs> 
<laughs> I couldn't see any way they could have like changed that quickly. Is also, he's played... six inches ta- taller. <laughs> I'm going to say this slowly. Is he played by somebody else? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did it take me a good couple of minutes for my man to go, oh, he's six inches taller. Oh, that's less impressive. <laughs> Putting on those heels must have taken time as well, mustn't it? <laughs> yeah, <they're> not. <laughs> exactly. I was just like, no, 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 this was Gattaca's layoff surgery. He's an actor, so he does different voices. Yeah, standard. <laughs> well, it's, it, it's, it's, it's almost a full body costume, is the thing. So you're yeah. only really seeing his lantern jaw. Mm. And they both, in fairness, the, both the actors have the same kind of profile because mm. they've been carefully cast. So, yes. so that works. Um, but yes, it's quite clearly a different guy. <laughs> it was still impressive. It's still very impressive and very well done. Um, there is a, there is a bit where they have a duet as well, which is not a spoiler. Yeah. But there's well, it's impressive because the way the stage is set up and the way that physical space works is that it does. It, you know, one guy runs behind the pillar and the other guy comes out, and you. Unless you've been watching very closely, you will not know how the guy has got behind the pillar. Um, also, and, and you will. Especially, especially, yeah, you, you think that sort of thing is going to be quite obvious on. Well, not, I don't know. They put the stuff on the stage, but yeah, that costume's not subtle. Yeah. <laughs> also, and Mikey, you will appreciate this. Mm-hmm. When they needed to do obvious scene changes, yes, the ensemble cast were dressed in brown overcoats. Oh, excellent. With, with flat caps <laughs> and, and rather than just being like random stagehands they all had personalities so there was the slightly exhausted guy who just clearly wanted a cup of tea the, the slightly sarcastic lady who was slightly you know, annoyed uh, and there's, there's a bit where like they're carrying I think probably it was meant to be a pane of glass but they couldn't pull that off so it's a, just a length of wood a banana man runs through it and they're both like, exhausted and tired and you know at the stage did um, these guys have a song they, they, they well, are, they, they are also part of the ensemble. They're, they're, oh, okay. they're, they're the chorus, so no. Uh, yeah, but they should have something. Also, the show's two hours long. Uh, okay. and apparently it's two pre- and a half hours. Two, and apparently That's a bit too long. It's about, it's about two hours 20 and then you throw a 15, 20 minute into it on top. Wow. Yeah. That's yes. a, lot, that's a well, lot of Banana Man, it's really. It's interesting uh-huh. because... You know, it's all, like 10-minute episodes, wasn't it? <laughs> all the stuff we had read, and I, I, when we first found out about this press night... I said to Ed, what's the running time of it? And he made inquiries and they said, oh, it's about 90 minutes. And I was like, brilliant. So it starts at half seven, it'll finish at nine. We've got an hour to smooth with people in the bar afterwards and talk to them about their opinion. And then we can get to Euston and be on the last train out of Euston to Manchester, which leaves Euston at 11 o'clock at night. And the curtain came down at 11 minutes past 10. Stubbers magazine is Manchester based, like many, many good things. And Southwark Playhouse is on the south side of the Thames. So I was like, we need to leave right now. Right now. We need to leave. So yeah, so interestingly long. Yeah. Yeah, we were slightly sneered at by a by a passing snob, but it's London, yeah, we expect no. that anyway. <laughs> uh, Why? Because we had to leave early. Because we, because because we, had, because we had to get to the front well, of the queue. Has, yeah, we had to get to the front of the queue and he was and, not. And he, he probably lives like, you know, five minutes away because, you know. London. Because London. Um, well, there's, there's slightly more um, episodes in, in time length than three hours worth of Banana Man because there's three series and 40 episodes. Yeah. But not much more. So, yeah, so yeah. This, is, this is the so the first two thirds of Act One, first half of Act One possibly is the origin story, yeah. and then the rest of the show is uh, Doctor Gloom's evil plan. 
No. I think mostly what they didn't want to do was cut out all the songs because yeah. all the songs are fab. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Um, all the songs are great. However, they've squeezed that together to get as many of the songs as possible while still having a coherent plot. It kind of bunches up towards the end. If you see what I mean, as in there's still a couple of darlings. I suspect they will. If this if this show tours, which I hope it does, mm-hmm. I suspect there'll be certain scenes that we saw that won't be in the touring yeah. show. Uh, the the bit with the balloons has got to go because yeah. it's lovely. But and you can see why they want to keep it. But yeah, no. but it came from nowhere, and I was a bit like, what? It bunches up a bit towards the end, and quite clearly, what they've got is they've got this great original soundtrack, mm-hmm. which someone's gone, ping. Yes, if this show does well, we can sell loads of that. But they don't yeah. cut those out. But you need just enough connective tissue to keep the story intact, yeah. which it does have. Um, but it could do a little bit more of a cut. I think um, it's not a show for people who uh, will complain about Chekhov. Um, do, do not expect you know your your knowledge of Brechtian theatre to be required. Mm-hmm. Um, it's for it's for people not running from, on holding signs. I think knowledge of Brechtian theatre is required. Yeah, yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's for. People awesome. who are in who people who were young during the eighties who've now gotten older and mostly either are still young at heart or or and or have their own young. You see, and so that's why I think a lot of the musical themes are repeated so that your young person remembers the so, tunes. I was going to say, should you bring your kids to it? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. yes there, there are uh, there are a couple of moments of jokes that are a little bit adult, but they are adult enough that your young person Won't will be connect. oblivious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Put my classic Tex Avery, if you see what I mean. Yeah. I think, I think a certain sort of young person will get one or two of the slightly camper gags, but that's just because of dad and dad, you know, or mum and mum. Uh, but those kids might get one or two of the other gags, but you know, there, there's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing unsuitable. Right. Cool. Um, and it's 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 good, solid family fun. It's it's that you know. It's for you know when you go to Facebook and there's like you you have geeky friends who are a family. Yeah. Yeah. And like you know they they're like always and they're always going out and they're you know they're, they're not going out but when they do go out it's a big thing mm. and there's like two hundred photos because they've been to the zoo yes. or something and they, they don't quite get a chance to do those things but when they do they really do it and they you know they really want to and they want to get their kids out it's also sort of like you know, those those. it's a grand day out yeah, yeah it's a grand yeah. day out yeah. um, it was a lot of fun it was an awful lot of fun yes uh, it's got a heck of a lot of heart and also they were performing it on a stage about the size of the room we're recording this podcast in uh, I mean we were in, uh, right. in, in that's in, good radio it's good radio <laughs> In, in, in the there's pictures on the Instagram that's true in the tiny auditorium area of L Space that we're currently recording the show um, you know it's, no, it's great fun but yes I would say I mean the audience that we saw it with was standing ovation at the end but the audience we saw it with was it was press night it was mm-hmm. very industry it was very industry it was full of industry people um, they and were, they still gave it standing ovation so there you go oh, and, why? Yeah. they were one of two <laughs> we because we, we were Travelling back on the train and looking at the various, you, you go on Twitter and you have yeah. a look, and it was there was an interesting difference between people roughly our age who were just like, "Oh, it was so much fun! I yes. had fun! I had, I went to the theatre and I had fun." 
Yeah. Um, and then the, the slightly more serious theatre critics. Like, you've seen Ratatouille. Mm-hmm. You know the food critic from Ratatouille? Yeah. Two of the long nose and a very severe look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't like it. <laughs> the people who's it's their job not to like fun didn't like fun. Yeah, but to be fair, the Financial Times liked this show because I've read their review. But the FT, no money when they're can see quite it. serious. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, the FT will have looked at that and gone, "Yeah, this can run and run. This can run and run and run." And you know, I'm good for them. But and the previous experience of the people who made this show are is stuff like Little Shop of Horrors and this sort of thing. So you can you can see. Yeah, it's that kind of. I would I would call it the the Mrs Brown's Boys audience. Yeah. Uh, to an extent, I saw Mrs. Brown's Boys about uh, twelve years ago, thirteen mm-hmm. years ago, uh, when it was doing its theatrical run. So before it was on the telly, yeah. I went to see it with a bunch of people from work, and I, at this point, had seen hundreds of shows. You know, theatre was part of my the regular background of my my life, mm-hmm. uh, and I was going there with people who had never been to the theatre ever or since school. Yeah, you know, they'd been dragged to Shakespeare once and didn't like it. Um, and that was it that was their entire experience and they went to Mrs Brown's Boys and they were all dolled up and I was dressed pretty much as I am now because I was just like it's yeah, a bit of fun and everyone was staring at me kind again of. Ed's wearing a tuxedo right now yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and you know I just, just dressed casually uh, I dressed casually in tuxedos by the way listeners just in case you, you're wondering tuxedos <laughs> That actually makes it worse because every time I do a live show, I'm really dressed quite smartly. Uh, but <laughs> We're just glad he's wearing clothes. Well, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yes, so um, so everyone was staring at me because I'm like, they're, they're, they're all dressed like in in clothes. And then we get to the theatre and it's a mix of people and they're like, we're expecting it to be posh. And then, of course, they go and see Mrs. Brown's Boys, and the first line is either a poo joke or a willy joke mm-hmm. or something along the lines, and everyone's having a, an uproarious time, at which point they're all like, oh, we're going back to the theatre. Yeah. You know, when when is this again? Mm-hmm. And the same with Madonna Man. It's, it's like one of those of, when is, you know, you, you take your kids, and it's not a panto. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It, also, towards the end, there is some spectacular wordplay. Um, around one of the characters' names, which should not be as funny as it is, and it's absolutely hilarious. And they carry it on for like the length of a song and it, dance number. Yeah, and it shouldn't be funny. And no, it is. it is. But it's because you've gotten to that roller coaster of giggles, the way you know, you've been giggling for the last two hours pretty solidly, and the last ten minutes they can they can say anything, and you will still be giggling, and they can make as many dad jokes as possible. Yeah. And there's plenty of dad jokes in here. Souls. Yeah. So, I have one more question. Were there any cosplayers of this? No, no, because, it's, it was, a, it's, it's an industry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, industry night. Yeah. Also, it's literally its first run, and it's been only been going since about the fifteenth of December. Hmm. Uh, should be. They did have a standee that you could stick your head in hmm. uh, and uh, be transformed into Banana Man yourself, which is them. Um, shall we talk to a lovely author? Yes. Yes. Why Let's not? get back to books, shall we? <laughs> books. Books. Sorry. <laughs> So, uh, Kim Newman, welcome to Brave New Words. Uh, very, very pleased to be here. And uh, tell us about your latest book. Uh, this is going to sound awful, but which one? 
Um, I've got three out at the moment. Uh, I have a non-fiction book out called uh, Kim Newman's Video Dungeon, which is a collection of reviews of arcane films. I have a collected edition of uh, the Anna Dracula comic book, Seven Days in Mayhem. And I have a new novel, uh, also in the Anna Dracula series, One Thousand Monsters. (laughs) You see, I, I was really meaning about 1,000 monsters, but I knew about the others. I, I know, yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I'm, I'm obligated to uh, 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 spread the love around. Um, the new novel is, obviously it's in my uh, series, uh, which, I, which has been running for 25 years now, the Anno Dracula uh, books, and uh, it's... I, I try every time I write one of these things to make it sufficiently different from the others, so as it's uh, so you know I'm not just rehashing uh, old stuff. Uh, and this time uh, I'm taking the the premise and the, some of the characters to uh, Japan in 1899, um, and dealing with a, a different bunch of monsters, drawing on different uh, sets of beliefs from the. The, the kind of Western vampire legendary that's been in most of the other books. Uh, although we still have proper vampires in it, as well as Japanese-type vampires, who are very strange and, uh, I think, a, a great fun to play with for a bit. So, you've been writing an, you've been writing an awful... Ooh, blimey. You've been writing an awful lot of Anadrakal books for a while now. Um, how... I hope not an awful lot. I try not to go back to the well too often. Um, I hadn't intended to have a novel and the comic out at around the same time, although, uh, you know, you stagger projects and, and sort of they come out at the same time. Uh, I try and uh, sort of leaven it by doing different things in between. So, why do you, why do you keep re- returning to the world of horror? Um, I, what makes you think I've got a choice? Yeah, I mean, if you look out there in the, uh, yeah, all the stuff that, that inspires, it tends to, to uh, my imagination tends to um, run towards the, the horrific and the bizarre and, and the strange. Although, <coughs> it's been a while since I wrote a straight-up horror novel. I mean, I wrote a ghost story quite recently. Um, but mostly I've been writing books that sort of exist in the uh, the hinterlands between genres. Uh, um, I suppose books with vampires in, you know, naturally class as horror. And, and this has got uh, quite a lot of horrific incident in it. But... Um, I'm not sure if technically it's, um, yeah, that it's sort of more in the kind of exotic, satirical, um, alternate world type vision uh, than it is a, a, yeah, a straight up scary monster story, although it has some scary monsters in it. Um, because it has um, quite a lot of humour as well and, and sort of weird character material. It's sort of strange that a horror appears to be cool now. We've kind of returned to a, you know, there's, there's zombies everywhere, and you can, you know, you can buy comedy monsters as presents and this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why, why has, why has the the darkness hit it off again? Do you think? Oh well, I mean, I don't think it ever really went away. It, I think it's one of those things that goes in waves. It's, it's, 
I think horror is a genre that, yeah, I mean, its closest um, form is probably comedy, in that there's always horror around, but it takes different forms, and there are different types, even, you know, and, and different types of horror coexist. As a, a critic, I've been interested in the way that um, horror as a genre advances through overlapping cycles of subgenres. So, you know, uh, some years, you know, people being tortured is in, and some years it's ghosts, and some years vampires, some years zombies. And, you know, all these things keep bubbling under, and, and yet, and they sort of take different forms depending on what's going on in the, the real world or the wider culture. Um, so I don't think it ever really goes away. Um, I think maybe it's just we choose to uh, put different costumes on the the big fears. How, as uh, as a critic, how does that lens? Um, because obviously writers uh, read and watch and you know absorb stories and then uh, yeah. Stories mm-hmm. their own. How does how does being a professional critic adjust that for you and adjust your your kind of your fiction writing? Um, I don't really differentiate that much between the, the various types of writing I do. Quite a lot of my fiction grows out of the things that I'm interested in in my critical writing as well. Um, I suppose it means that I um, am more yeah, aware of what's going on in, in the field um, or in all kinds of other things that... that <coughs> sorry, I have a terrible cough at the moment. That's good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That um, yeah, I, I tend to think about what's happening in horror, um, but that's not necessarily the same as me doing it. You know, sometimes of course uh, you set out to do what people aren't doing because that yeah, counter programming seems the way to go. What's the uh, what is the the difference for you between looking at your work in a comic strip form and then looking in your work uh, as a novel form? Um, do you think there's any nuance li- uh, le- lost, or does a picture really tell us those words? They're very different media. I mean, obviously the the primary difference is one is collaborative and one is, is solo. Yeah, uh, everything in the novel is is my fault, you know, um, or to my credit, uh, which isn't to take away from the various uh, editorial input that I have on all, all, all the words. But it is, you know, you are a, a, a sole arbiter of what goes into uh, a novel. But with a comic, of course, it's at least 50-50 with the artist and, and sometimes probably 25-75 in favour of, of the art. Um, with this particular project, I had completely scripted it before Paul McCaffrey, the artist, came on board. So there was less of the back and forth that you'd, I'd get if uh, he'd been around at the beginning. Um, it's almost like, um, it, you know, I'd... I didn't have the opportunity to be influenced in my writing by the art. Um, if we go forward and do more, which I certainly hope we do, I will be. <coughs> now, I, I mean, I did put stuff into the, the comic because I thought, you know, artists like drawing. Uh, the character of, of Orlok um, from the, the movie Nosferatu is 
kind of featured heavily in the, in the comic. He's in Anna Dracula, the novel, but I put him in the comic because I just know artists love drawing him. Um, and I thought that he would be, yeah, a really strong visual presence for the, uh, whoever got to, to draw um, the, the book would like drawing Nosferatu, which Paul certainly did. In fact, I've got a, um, a framed original of, of a portrait of Nosferatu above my desk that Paul did um, after he'd done the, the comic. Uh, and there are other characters in there I put in for their visual impact. And of course, when you're writing a novel, you try and describe uh, people and, and you put in sort of imagery but that's not the same as knowing someone's going to have to draw it. Yeah. I think Paul is probably quite grateful that I didn't do 1,000 Monsters as a, a comic book concept because the first thing an artist thinks of is 1,000 Monsters. I'm going to have to design all of those. Kim Newman, thank you very much for your time. Lovely. Oh, lovely. yes, very lovely. Shall we leave? Yes. No, we can't. What? Shall we end the show so we can do another one? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so it's goodbye from me and from me and from me and me and me and you can follow us on Twitter at Radio Bookworm uh, you can also follow us on Facebook or Tumblr and of course Instagram our Instagram is very very lovely and full of lots of lovely things and if you're a member of the British Fantasy Society you can vote for us as the Brave New Words podcast vote for us as the Brave New Words podcast bye bye, bye. <laughs>